Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hey, welcome to Behind the Knife. We are very proud of this next series, which is a partnership between Behind the Knife and AOSA which is the Association of Out Surgeons and Allies. I'm joined by BTK team member Nina, and we have a special guest host with us, Andrew Schlussel, who is a colorectal and general surgeon at Charlie Norwood BA Medical Center and also an old friend. Andrew contacted me wanting to do this series. I said it sounded like a great idea, so let's do it. So Andrew, what was the impetus or what was the motivation or inspiration for wanting to do this series? Well, it's definitely all started back when I was in the military. I was, I am gay surgeon and it was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it was just a very big struggle with my identity and really finding a network and community within the uh, LGBTQ uh, medical groups. and. Um, it was just hard. And honestly, when I came across AOSA, I got super excited that there was finally a community and a network that I could grow with. And Courtney um, graciously gave me the position to work on education through her committee. And I thought, what better way in today's modern age than to do a podcast to really go over anything and everything about what it means to be an LTBTQ surgeon and what we can do for our patients. So I reached out to you, and it's really an honor to be on Behind the Knife. I remember listening to the first episode, so I really think this is wonderful that we could be here. And you brought some friends with you, right? Do you want to introduce who's joining us today? So, yeah, so it's a pleasure here to introduce our current president, Nicole Goulet. She was a trauma surgeon in New York City. Our president-elect, Alexis Morin, she is a trauma surgeon and associate trauma medical director at Salem Health. And Courtney Collins, who is a abdominal wall surgeon at the Ohio State University, and she is the Outreach and Education Committee Chair. So I'm really happy to have you all here. Thanks for saying the Ohio State. It's very important. <laughs> As a diehard Michigan fan, it kind of hurts me a little bit, but I guess we'll allow it for today. Can you all comment a little bit about how and, and why AOSA started and kind of how it got kicked off? We'd love to hear that. Really, AOSA started with a group of us who, very you know, similar to what Andrew said, we were a bunch of gay surgeons who were really looking for a group to have a community. We all had different stories of what it was like being out or not being out in surgical training. And really, we realized that we really need a community that's our own. And specifically, a lot of us were attendings already and wanted to form this organization so that we could also pave the way and make it easier, hopefully, for trainees, opportunities, a community that we didn't have when we were in training. And really, it, it also includes a community of allies. And that was really important in our initial discussions that our group should also include allies because those are really large portion of part of our organization and community as surgeons. So really, it kind of started by word of mouth. And we had our first founding meeting, seems like forever ago, but pre-pandemic back in uh, 2019 in San Francisco, where a group of us got together and really started talking about what this group would look like. And Alexis was also a part of that initial group. And that's really how it started, was very small, and then it uh, grew exponentially. 
It sounds like a lot of you were kind of thinking about this as trainees yourselves and going up through the years. Can one or all of you share? I bet you all have stories to share about why you felt this was really important once you became people in positions of power who had the impetus to be able to start something like this. But can you guys specifically talk about how the medical student or resident experience is different for somebody who is part of this community? Sure. I'll start off and then everybody can fill in after. I think a lot has grown even in the past five or 10 years. But if you look back 10, 15 years or so, really anybody in the community, anybody in the LGBTQIA plus community was looking for mentorship as well as a community of their own where they could talk amongst one another and really navigate surgery, which was very much predominantly heterosexual. And there was always chatter about it, but it took a group of people to really catapult this association. And it took a lot of time to get it organized and going. And I think I'll let somebody else speak. But for me, it was important to have because I didn't have that community or really somebody like me to look up to in residency and all the advice that would have been great looking for a fellowship or a job or what questions to ask. I kind of learned on the fly. And I think that's one of the things that I really covet is to bring that back, that knowledge that I've gained back to those in training now. Just from my personal experience in the military, I honestly thought that I was never going to find another gay surgeon. Well, really didn't think I'd ever find another gay surgeon, period, another gay colorectal surgeon, and really any other gay medical professional in the military. So I do agree now that it's 15 years later, I think having these communities is definitely going to make the young LGBTQ surgeons feel way more inclusive as medical students and going into residency, which really helps because I really had to hide what I did outside of work and it made it really, really difficult trying to be myself at work and definitely increases burnout. And I just, I, I hope by doing this, younger trainees and students don't have to go through that again. How's your experience been different as a an attending when you're joining a practice or starting as an early attending? When I was applying for a job, I thought to myself, as opposed to when I was applying to residency or fellowship, where I thought to myself, all right, I was weighing the pros and cons of being out in a job, in a interview and on my application for training positions, I thought to myself, all right, well, it's only one year. My fellowship was one year. I said I could get through anything for one year. But when I was applying for a job, I thought, all right, these are people that I'm going to have to work with for who knows how many more years. And it could be a little bit more permanent. And so I had to think about things a lot differently. And by that time, I, I said to myself, I need to make sure that these people are going to be people who can accept me because I'm going to be going to social events with these folks. I'm going to be operating with these folks. I need to not have to hide because that's a lot of emotional toll and emotional energy to have that be a part of your life. So I thought of it a lot differently as an attending. And by that time, I had already kind of decided to myself that either they hire me or they don't. And that's just kind of, it was a bit of a shift in the mentality that you're right, because I just thought that they couldn't harm me so much anymore. And I had a bit more control over that. Yeah, I think for me, I've always been 
very out kind of on, on accident honestly i thought when i so i went to so this will shock everyone listening right now but back when i met when i matched for residency i graduated medical school in 2010 and gay marriage wasn't legal till 2015 again so for all the gen zers out there this is probably just the, the world used to be very different right and so back then i my partner at the time and i we could only go to one state and get married we'd been together for six years so i matched in Massachusetts because that's just that was my only choice and so I think I just assumed that Massachusetts was this place where there would be all these gay people running around that's just kind of the thing I'd built in my head so I went there and was very out of my program and then I learned about halfway through that I was the first openly gay resident in the program which I'm glad I didn't know going into it but it was just I just remember my chief resident coming up and being like Courtney god I just think it's so brave that you're doing this and I was like doing what so but that moment was as a resident it was really hard i think after kind of realizing but my co-residents were wonderful they really were like they the biggest group at our at my, me and my wife's wedding was the umass residents that i trained with like, it was huge they were very supportive but it was very weird with the attendings who weren't always as familiar with gay night with gay culture and gay didn't really know how to ask about what word to use they would stumble all over it you could tell some of them were a little uncomfortable about it and that power dynamic is so tricky when you're a resident like you feel like you need to impress them like they're gonna and especially if you're the first and the only you feel like anytime you're not slips anytime anything goes wrong it's gonna be like oh well look what happens when we hire gay people and they can't even tie knots you just feel this pressure of somehow representing this entire slice of society and even though no one ever said that to me to be clear like everyone i trained with was wonderful. I had a really good residency experience, but that sort of internalized pressure was very hard. I think personally, I think life is a lot better as an attending. I think you have a little more more power. And I think, but I, I think it's different. I think what I really want to get across with this story is just that the experience is different for everybody. But I think that some people have an easier time in residency and a harder time as an attending. And some people it's hard the whole way through. Some people it's easy the whole way through. The queer experience just is very different depending on where you are. And so I wrote Nicole's around and I was like, well, I am who I am. And I'm, my wife and I were planning our wedding. I'm like, this is just what it is. And so I only really look places that I thought would be accepting of it. But I, uh, on the flip side, I know there are sort of institutions where it's just it's harder to be out as an attending and you're running in different circles and it's a different experience. So I think it really just depends where, where you're coming from. And I think that you can tell that a little bit as you gain experience and as you move up the ranks from resident to fellow to attending. You can ask those questions a little bit more freely and openly and really figure out what the overall, I interviewed all over the country for an attending position and I came across a group that was definitely not accepting. And I don't think they even thought just because I think in their mind, a lesbian dresses a particular way and I didn't fit into that. And so they assumed that I was they saw I had a ring, so they assumed I was married to a man. And so they kind of, it came out and evolved over dinner. There was a very anti-gay group. And I made the decision right there. I was like, well, this is absolutely not a group that I'd want to work with. But it opened my eyes to make sure that I asked in other interviews, kind of to fully understand the dynamics of the group. And in fact, my story one of my really close friends is there and he tells the story every time we're at conference about what not to ask or say on interviews to people. But I actually think that was like the most important interview that I had because it came out that although this was like a really great job and even potentially a dream job for me, it wasn't the right fit in a city or a group like that. 
I I talk to a lot of medical students and obviously a lot of other residents, and I have very frequently heard this anxiety about how they should or if they should bring up their identity or their lifestyle to interviewers, both for residency and beyond. And it sounds like at least three of you have different experiences and thoughts on how you approached that. And I'm wondering if you all have evolved all in how you think that trainees currently in today's climate should approach it versus what you all experienced. I'm assuming, Dr. Schlossel, you did not bring that up in your interviews. <laughs> so. That is very correct, unfortunately. I think this is something I've changed my mind a lot on over the years. I used to be very much, it's very important that everybody's out and like visibility matters and everyone should be proud and all that stuff. And to some extent, and for me, I think that's true, but I had to take a moment and reflect as well. I'm also, you guys can't see me, but I'm a white, cisgendered, upper middle class woman who can pass, like Alexis is talking about as a, as a straight person. Me being out is very different. I'm very non-threatening to a lot of this as a, as a gay person. That just may not be the right advi- advice for everybody, just depending on on where, what their circumstances is. So I, I think it has to be a choice that you're comfortable with. You don't have to be out. It's like you're failing as a gay person if you aren't out in your interviews. I don't think that at all. I think I hope that surgery is creating an environment where people feel empowered to be out. But if you're not, if you're just not willing to share that part of you, I think that's totally okay because we're all walking different paths. And so I think we all need to really be understanding of that. That's just some people are in a place where they can be out and some people aren't. Um, But I will say it's a choice that you should make for yourself. So if you want to be, if you're deciding to be out, make that choice. Find places that are accepting. If you're not ready to be out, like that's totally okay too. Embrace that choice and do what you have to do to kind of to live your life and to stay to stay healthy and safe. So from the other perspective, from somebody who now is in charge of shaping a program and interviews a lot of medical students, and so what are things that I could do to promote that inclusivity and make interviews interviewees feel comfortable? And maybe I don't know. Maybe you got some stories. Maybe what are some things that I'm doing that that I don't realize that I'm doing? Even what are some pitfalls? What are some good things to do? What are some bad things to do? I think one thing it really, as it's already been discussed a little bit, being really careful with your terminology and with any assumptions. I think we all have our pasts and we all were, we are all in different communities. And so sometimes we might misspeak really easily. And so just being really cognizant of that, being cognizant of number one, asking people what their pronouns are just to start off the conversation. It creates then a very open environment where that person is going to look at you and say, oh, wow, this person, I can kind of be a little bit more open with this person. So really kind of starting in that direction. And then as Alexis, in her example, don't ever obviously uh, make any assumptions about using your husband, wife, or any type of kind of those assumptions. I think that's a a good start. And the other thing is that a lot of the questions now on applications also, and a lot of institutions are starting to look at what students and trainees do in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion and what their thoughts are on it. And so even kind of opening that up that discussion to see kind of to have that be an open line of communication of what they're doing and kind of uh, what your thoughts are. So I think those are kind of some really easy ways to open up a conversation and to really make an applicant feel like and to understand that you are somebody who is an open person who is supportive of diversity. 
it's always a good, like I've had several, more and more people have asked that specific question, like what uh, type of diversity and inclusivity uh, programs do you have as part of your, your training? I think that's a great, I always thought that was a really good, thoughtful question to ask. And it, first time I heard it, it, it took me like, oh my gosh, I don't even, I, I guess I need to work on this more. So that's, that's a good litmus test, I think, to ask if you're interviewing at a program. I think that is wonderful to hear that military applicants are asking that. One thing we probably can do better globally in the military is formal DEI and program similar to this. So I think it's really wonderful that they're coming to you with those questions today. Well, maybe at this time I can I'll defer to Nicole and Alexis, but I just wanted from your perspective as a senior leadership, what our overall mission and vision is of this organization and overall all goals. Sure. Yeah. We re really promote outreach and education. And we really, our goal is to have a community where we really support our trainees as well as attending. So a lot of our initiatives right now are really focused on those things we provide. We will talk a little bit more in, in a few minutes, but we really want to do outreach to other organizations as well as institutions and along with education along the same lines, such as uh, programs like this, again, to other organizations and institutions so that we can start working together to form a more supportive environment for LGBTQ plus surgeons. And that, again, includes our allies as part of that. Yeah, I would agree with everything Nicole said. It would be great really to engage the surgical community as a whole to be inclusive and affirming. So not only understanding, not only using the appropriate terms, but really truly understanding why, what it means and why it's important. And then ultimately in in us being inclusive, we can eventually translate that to the care that we give to all of our patients. Absolutely. And the other thing that we're within the organization as we grow, and Courtney can speak a little bit more to this as her committee is working on it, is a mentorship program. And so really providing a mentorship and community to, to our members. Our members, we're very lucky where our membership consists of students, residents, fellows, and then attendings of all levels, including chairs of surgery. So we have quite the network of folks all around the country in all specialties of surgery. So you talked about this term ally a lot. Can you expound on that a little bit? What do you, what exactly do you mean by ally? And are there specific programs within the organization for allies? I really cannot overemphasize how important allies are. And so an ally is just really someone who has your back, essentially, when you're not especially when you're not there to advocate for yourself. Because I think one thing that it's easy to forget that most of the gay jokes in society and certainly in surgery don't happen when I'm in the room, right? They happen when we're not there. And they happen when we're not there to defend ourselves or correct kind of just wrong ideas about who we are. And so it, it, I just, it is just so meaningful when people stand up for us in those spaces because we're not in those rooms to do it on our own. And I think that it's very easy to let comments go past. But every time it, you stand up for and really any community, not just ours, certainly at a time when they're not able to is just extremely impactful. And, and I think that's, that's why things like this are so important is because if all the gay surgeons in the country got together and revolted, like, you can't change anything. There's not enough of us. There's just there aren't. The only way it changes is by engaging sort of the community at large. And so my story for that one thing I think about is and again, this is going to blow everyone's mind. I'm going to age myself a lot. But back when I was in training, that was back when you used the word gay to mean stupid, right? If things were, this was gay, that was gay, that was just a vernacular. And I, so I hear that all the time, like all day. And sometimes I would say something and sometimes I wouldn't. 
But in the whole seven years I was at my program, not a single time did someone ever turn around and say, hey, don't say that. And the important thing about that is if just one person had, that changes the conversation from, oh, we can't say that's gay because Courtney's going to get mad to we can't we shouldn't say gay because that's not something we support here. And it just it really totally changes the narrative when non-queer people stand up for queer people. And so that I just if there's one thing I can leave from this thing today is just how important you guys are to kind of keeping queer people feeling safe. So along those lines, how do people, if there are people listening to this that are interested in, in getting involved, where do they go? What do they do? So just to put in perspective, we have about 350 members and we have 24 institutions that are institutional members of all different levels, which is amazing. And that it really was just exponential growth over the past year or two. So if you, if, for anybody who wants to take part and wants to join, they can go to our website at outsurgeons.org and there's a join page. You just fill out a very brief application and there's a very small membership dues. And basically they'll get involved with our organization as well as opportunities with our different committees. We have three different committees that people can be a part of. They can also just be members and know what's going on. We have a monthly newsletter that gets emailed out. It gives scholarship opportunities. It gives what's going on within our organization and also opportunities that come to us through other organizations that we partner with or that we're not formally partnered with, but are still good opportunities specifically for our membership. So there's a lot of benefits to becoming a member. So that's how you become a member. We're also, for anybody who's going to be at the Clinical Congress this year, we also will be having a our annual business meeting as well as a networking event following it on October 24th. And so that is also can be found on our, our website. That will be in the Renaissance Hotel on October 24th from 4 to 6. Awesome. And we'll definitely push all that stuff out through our channels. It'll be in the show notes. We'll put it out over our social media for people, for for folks who want to and should be getting involved. Well, it's one of the reasons that we, when Andrew came to me with this, we wanted to do this because we certainly wanted to highlight the organization. And we also wanted to cover some issues that are applicable or of interest to the LGBTQ plus community. So Andrew, what are, do we have planned for our, the series for the future episodes? So the next one, we have a very motivated group of medical students and residents who I know are an eager group of your audience, and they are super excited and put together a very nice episode about their stories. And I think that will touch a lot about questions regarding interviews and how they approached it and how they are going through their student and resident life. So that'll be coming up. We have an episode on LGBTQ healthcare that will cover multiple aspects from things like STI treatment and screening, the anal dysplasia, those sorts of things, an episode on gender affirming care, and then a little bit more of a broader approach outside of healthcare, but looking at LGBTQ plus inclusivity within different organizations. I think it's a good time to touch on the different laws and policies that are going on around our country that affect our community that a lot of folks may not know about unless they personally involved or personally affected by the situation. So I think it's really good to publicize that more. And, and then I would put, love to put another little plug in about LGBTQ life in the military and how to navigate that. So we all are very super excited to, to continue this with you. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. So with that, Alexis, Nicole, Courtney, thank you so much for sharing your stories and 
for everything that you're doing. And uh, we hope to be, we would like for BTK to be an ally and we'll be pushing this out as far reaching as possible. Nina and Andrew, looking forward to the next series. Nina, you want to take us out? Oh gosh, I have to say it. All right, you have to say it. All right, guys, dominate the day. Thank you. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.